Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 17th of July 2011, entitled, My Response to God's Work. And the Bible reading is taken from John chapter 9, verses 1 to 41. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in John chapter 9 and verse 1. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, How are thine eyes opened? He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind, and it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, he put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, this man is not of God because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, how can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he hath opened thine eyes? He said, He is a prophet. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight, until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, who ye say was born blind? How then doth he now see? His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered and said, whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know that whereas I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? He answered them, I have told you already, and you did not hear. Wherefore would you hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, 
As for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. The man answered and said unto them, Why herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one that was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. Some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. Father, we thank you again for our time together this evening. We pray, Lord, as we look at this account in Scripture, that by the power of your Spirit, you would take and use it to speak to our hearts this evening. Lord, you know each one. You know that which is needed. We pray that you would, you would bring forth the words that you would have preached. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Of course, a familiar story. And as we read through this account, I've certainly preached I don't know, a number of sermons from this passage over the years that I've been preaching. There are so many things to look at there. The things to look at with the physical blindness versus the spiritual blindness. We can look at the fact of that, again, the whole sin issue, that it was these that thought surely that this man's blindness had to be because of either sin on his part or sin on his parents' part, but Jesus makes it clear to them, no, he was born blind so that God could be glorified. We find that we could look at so many things that we could gain from, but as I read through this passage again, um, I want to share with you this evening something from a little different. I've certainly never preached it from this standpoint before, but some things that I think that can be a real encouragement to us from this passage also. And I would ask you a question in the beginning. How do you see yourself as responding to life in general and the things that go on around you? You see, one thing that in all of this, it was Jesus Christ that accomplished the work that was accomplished here. It was Jesus Christ that gave this man sight. It was Jesus that here speaking, we find that in the beginning, he begins with a blind man that was physically blind, that had been physically blind since birth, and he finishes with the spiritual blindness of those that are around him, those Pharisees that were there. He ties together the likeness between the two. Jesus was doing a work as we begin to look at how the people in this account responded to what Jesus was doing. You see, we find that as we look through here, we want to look at a number of different people. We want to look at the man himself and how he responded to what Christ was doing in his life. We want to look at his neighbors and friends and how they responded. We want to look at his religious leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees that he was brought before there. And as we look at these different responses, 
I would say that hopefully it can show us some things in our own life. You know, if I ask you the question, how many of you have ever been discouraged? <laughs> Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever been discouraged because of something that was going on around you? Because of something that somebody you cared about was either doing or not doing, and it brought discouragement to you. How many of you have been maybe discouraged in the past because that maybe you were going along and things were going just great, but somebody else in their discouraged state either said or did something that took away your joy? Because it's, it's natural that it hurts us when somebody else is hurting. Well, I'm sure that you have heard the saying that I realize that in one sense, I'm singing to the choir this evening. I realize that, but at the same time, that's precisely why I believe that God gave me this because I prayed because you see, I'm preaching to your preacher as well. We can become discouraged over so many things that are happening around us. But I want to remind you of a couple of things. We see things happening the way we respond is many times in the light that we see them happening. Now, I want to encourage you this evening that God is doing a work all around us in our lives and in other people's lives. But so many times, we don't see what he's doing because of what other people are doing that gets in our way. Now, I could ask you a couple of questions. You know, and I'm not saying this to be mean. I'm just saying it to be honest and loving, and I hope that everybody that's not here this evening will, will, will maybe at least listen to it on the, on, on the website and, and, uh, and, and hear it for themselves. But as we look around our own congregation here, how many people were here this morning for our Sunday morning service? I didn't count numbers, don't want you to. But how many people are here this evening in comparison now, I'm going to tell you something from a fleshly standpoint, from the preacher's standpoint. It takes me just as much time and effort and prayer to prepare a message for the Sunday evening as it does the Sunday morning. If I allow myself, I can get to focusing and I can get to looking and I can get to saying, well, you know, why am I wasting my time if nobody cares enough to even want to come and hear it? Now, the thing is, I could ask you some other questions. How many people will be here Wednesday evening for the prayer meeting. Is that prayer meeting any less important to our church than the Sunday morning service was this morning or this Sunday evening service this evening? I would ask you, you know, how many people turn up for our outreaches when we go out on the streets, when we go out on the doors, when we go into the nursing homes, when we do these ministries that are an outreach of our church to try to allow Christ to be seen in our ministries. How many people? How many people will turn up on the work day because they're grateful for the facilities that God has given us that need to be cared for? Why? Well, first of all, we could spend a lot of time this evening and we could list all kinds of reasons. And the simple fact is, is that some of them would be good reasons and some of them would be bad reasons. You see, the truth is, there's some people that are not here tonight because they can't be. There's some people that would love to be here, but because of their health, because of their work, because of things, they legitimately cannot be here. There's other people tonight that are here simply because they don't want to be. We don't love them any less for that. They could be here if they wanted to, but they don't want to be here. We find that the simple truth is that if you're one of the ones that, that is here, if you're the one of the ones that did make it, if you're not careful, if you're not very careful, just like your pastor, you can get discouraged. You can start asking yourself, well, why don't more people care? <laughs> why don't more people want to be here? Well, if we're not careful, we can get ourselves discouraged 
And if we're not careful, that discouragement can lead us then into prideful, critical attitudes, asking ourselves all these whys. But may I say this once again, because it's very important, and it ties in hopefully what we want to see here in the Scripture, that it really has a lot to do with the light in which we see it. You see, let me ask you another question. What about all of our brothers and sisters in Christ this evening, that as we are gathered here, that all around this world, we're not talking about just in a single community, but I'm saying all around the globe, all around this wonderful planet that we live upon, how many of them can't come together this evening? How many of them don't even have a place to come together in? How many of them are fortunate if they can come together at least once a week? How many of them don't have the freedom that you and I do to go out on the streets and to pass out those tracts and, and to go into those nursing homes and, and to do those things that we have the wonderful privilege to be able to do? How many? Do you understand what I'm saying? You see, is it right or is it good that more people don't take advantage of the freedoms and the opportunities that we have. Well, I'm not here to make excuses for anybody. I'm here to preach and proclaim forth the Word of God. I believe with all my heart that I can honestly say that I don't love one more than the other because of what they do or how they do it. I'm very appreciative of many <laughs> for what they do and for the load that they help to carry and take off of the pastor. You see, let me ask you this. What good is it going to do you or me or our church if you let somebody else's? Now, I'm sure it doesn't bother you, the good reasons, the reasons that people aren't here, but if you let even our brothers and sisters in Christ that are not here for bad reasons, just because they couldn't be bothered or whatever. If you allow that to rob you of your joy and of your thankfulness, do you see what's happening then is what they are doing is having an adverse effect upon me and upon you and upon our church because we can't change what they do anyway. We see as we look around. You see, what I want is this. I want you. And I want everybody that's not here tonight. I want everybody that's part of our church family or that may come one day. I want them to know the joy and the thankfulness that should be theirs to be a child of God, to be able to have the freedom to be a part of a body of Christ, of a church that will love them, that will stand for the things that are true in all of our imperfections. I said this morning and I say again, you've got about as imperfect a pastor as you could possibly ever hope to have. And as far as our church, I'm sorry. I know that you're a bunch of wonderful people, but we're far, far, far from perfect. That's not what we have to be in order to know the joy of the Lord, though. And what hurts me is the fact is that, you know, yes, sometimes, sometimes I beat myself up and I ask myself and I let my joy be robbed because I can't figure out, you know, what have I got to do as a pastor? Why don't people enjoy it more? Why don't people want to serve God more? Simple truth is, is I can't do anything except love them and give them the truth of the book that we have before us. But this evening, I genuinely, from my heart, I want to encourage you. 
I want to encourage you because we could. We could be one of those that maybe as we look around us and as we see all the things that are happening around us, we find that, yes, we could desire for people to be more involved. We could find as we look around us so that, you know, we could be in a place where that we didn't have a church to come to. We could very well be in a state. You know, churches are closing their doors around us all the time. Brother Steve was at a church preaching this morning. A handful of people that have been hanging on and hanging on and trying to hang on for the Lord because they know that there's a need in that community. They love God genuinely with all their heart, but they're just hanging on by their fingernails. Most of you know, Sister Janet, Sister Eva, that were sitting here this morning that have been part of Calvary for many years. Sister Janet's been there since we came to this country almost. And yet the church has had to close its doors because there weren't enough people that were there that were interested enough to be faithful. And there's some good people there that love God that are faithful and sincere with God. We know others that have closed down all around us, you see, and the simple truth is, is that that's where this church was not too many years ago, a handful of people hanging on by their fingernails. Now, as I look around this evening, yes, we've still got a few of those members that were here that had been faithful and hanging on and praying for God to do something but none of you that are here this evening, none of you were here then. God has brought you here since that time. God has brought you in to be a part of this body. Some of you already Christians. Some of you by becoming Christians. But the truth is, is that we have something this evening that we ought to be very, very, very grateful for. I would love to see us have to worry about pulling out extra chairs because they were here. But you know what, this evening, I want you to know that I thank God for you. I thank God that we're not like one that says, well, not as many people come out on Sunday nights, so we'll just quit having Sunday night services. We'll just have the one service. Many services don't have, many churches don't have their midweek. We have another lady that sits right back there that's been back there for the last few months because another church just up the street with us that had been there for who knows how many years, many, many, many years, but it closed down. It ceased to exist. It's not there anymore. And you see, this evening, I mean this with all my heart. I want to be encouraged in what we do have, and I want to know the joy of the Lord if I could look at any one of you here this evening, and if it turned out that if it was next week or the week after or the week after, if there wasn't anybody here but you and me, I thank God that the two of us could be here. And I thank God that God's word is still the same. And I thank God that we've got the place to be able to come together and that we've got the freedom to be able to come together. It's so easy for all of us to let others rob our joy. When I'm saying to you, God is doing things all around us just like he did with this blind man here. It was God that was doing a work. But it's easy. It's easy to get focused upon the natural thing and it's easy to get discouraged and I don't want you to be discouraged because then that makes me get discouraged too because I hurt when you hurt. We've got a lot to praise God for. We've got a lot to thank God for. You see, as we look here this evening, we find that there's so many things. Man, I done all got all messed up with my notes here. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, I know I wanted to give you that. Very simple verse that says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. The word there that's translated rejoice 
You know, it actually carries with it the idea of being cheerful and happy. <laughs> that we can actually be cheerful and happy in the Lord all the time because we have got something. We don't have to let them get us down. In the Lord, we can rejoice. Matter of fact, that word always there. It carries with it the idea of in every season and at all times. It's a very simple statement that we can rejoice all the time, anytime, all the time in the Lord. Not in the world. Not in the things that are going on around us a lot of times. But we can in the Lord. Do you know this evening? And you've got to be careful here. I'm not bragging on me. I'm bragging on the Lord. You've heard it said many times. Brother Peter said it many times up here when he's gone over the, the finances of this church. Folks, there aren't a lot of churches around of the size that we are that has got the wonderful, glorious privilege of being able to support the number of missionaries that we support at the amount that we support them at, and that while we're gathered here this evening, it's not just what's going on here. But we have arms, we have ministries. These are folks that we're in partnership with. We love them and we pray for them. And yes, we send them those finances, but that's our ministry that's going on right around the world this evening. Thanks to God, we can have a part in that. And what a glorious, glorious thing that is. And I believe that pleases God. I believe that that's why that God allows it to take place through us. Here in John chapter 9, we see a great miracle that Jesus has performed on a man that had been blind from his birth. Now, blindness in Scripture often is the picture of either the physical and the spiritual darkness. Being in darkness instead of the light. As I said, Jesus begins this chapter with the healing of a man of his physical blindness. He gets healed of his spiritual blindness as well, and at the end, he's challenging the others with their spiritual blindness. The previous chapter in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Our Lord was trying to show the people that though they thought that they had the light, in reality they were walking in darkness. The blind man, just like all the rest of us, he is blind to the power and the presence of God until Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, who is the light of the world, is the one that comes in and that reveals God and that is able to cure him from that spiritual darkness. Jesus cured this man of his physical sight, but he's the only one that can touch and heal each and every one of us of our spiritual darkness, of our spiritual blindness this evening. It wasn't his spit that he put onto the ground that he made that clay with it wasn't that clay that was put on that man's eyes. He wasn't even sending him down to the, to the pool of Siloam in order to, to wash it off. That's not what healed this man. It was his obedience and faith in what Jesus Christ told him to do. If he had not did what Jesus commanded him to do, if he hadn't done it, he wouldn't have received his sight Jesus told him what to do. He believed it, and he followed the directions of our Lord Jesus Christ. This miracle of Christ. This is the only place that is recorded right here in the Gospel of John. But as we look at it, it shows us this blind man's reception amongst his friends, his family, these Pharisees, these religious people. And as we look there this evening, let me just give you these few things real quick. I know I can't spend as much time as I've got notes here. <laughs> let me just give you a few things. You see, verses 1 through 7 records the miracle itself. 
But then beginning in verse 8, how did people respond to what God was doing? And I want to say to you that the work that God is doing around us, the work of God that is taking place in the hearts and lives of people and releasing them from their spiritual blindness is just as much a miracle as what we read about here in the Word of God that took place over 2,000 years ago. It's the same Jesus that's still doing the same work today. We find that we see here in verses 8 to 14 that one of the responses of the people to start with was just confusion. Confusion. The initial response of his neighbors and those that were around him, they knew him. They knew this blind man's condition before Christ's work. They simply didn't understand what they were seeing now. It didn't make sense that this was the same man. We find that they simply didn't understand what was going on. And so their natural response was to go to their religious leaders, which is what they did. And we have to be very careful here. Because the simple truth is, folks, there is a big, big difference. It's not a question of imperfections, but the truth is there's a big difference in a religious leader that has set himself up in his occupation to do what he's doing and a God-called spiritual leader that God has called, that God has placed, that God has given to the church. There's a huge difference. Confusion is a natural thing but people ought to have somewhere to go with their confusion when they don't understand. Well, some of the people today, do you not think that, that that's the same thing that happens many times when people are touched and healed from their spiritual blindness? <laughs> their friends, their neighbors, the people around them, they're left scratching their heads. What's going on? I mean, this looks like the same person physically, but this doesn't make sense. You know, this, this is not the person that we, that we knew. And sometimes they're confused. But you know, the same thing as Christians. We ought not to be confused. But the truth is, God does things around us all the time. God does wonderful things around us all the time. And yet sometimes we might have just prayed for it last week or yesterday, and then when God answers the prayer, it just baffles us. You know? <laughs> we didn't really expect it to happen. <laughs> we find that that's a natural response sometimes to things that are going on around us. But I want you to notice that though it was confusion that they felt, I want you to notice the response of these religious men that were supposed to be where they could go and find their answers. In verse 15 and 16, it says, Then again the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? There was a division amongst them. You see, Next response from these good religious people was criticism. <laughs> criticism. Now remember, Jesus is the one that's done this miracle. And yet the first words out of their mouth was to criticize him. They're criticizing Jesus for not doing it right. The first instinct was to look at what was wrong rather than what was right. He did it on the Sabbath. How could he do such a thing? It doesn't fit in with our rules that we've got set out. It doesn't fit in with the way that we think things ought to be done. We had a word for those where I grew up, and I'm going to throw it out and maybe use the same thing here. We used to call people like that a lot of times nitpickers. <laughs> Have you used the term here, nitpickers, before? There's some people that are just nitpickers. You know, 
people have the knack of sometimes nitpicking. Boy, they've got it right down to an art. They're able to demonstrate their skills in every situation of life. Well, I've got news for you. I'm human and not a very good one. Besides that, we're all humans here this evening. Every one of us have flaws. There's no excuse for it, but we do. We make mistakes. We're sinners saved by grace. And I want to ask you this. If these nitpickers were able to find fault with the Lord Jesus Christ and what he was doing and how he was doing it, what chance have we got? You're going to be criticized. You're going to be criticized, especially if the Lord is doing anything through your life. You're going to be criticized. The thing I want to encourage you this evening, though, you can't stop people criticizing you because what you're doing and what God's doing in your life doesn't fit into their box in the way they think. What I want to encourage you is don't get caught up with them and be guilty of what they're doing. Don't be guilty of one of those that are picking apart and tearing it apart because it's not done exactly like you think. Now, don't misunderstand. We've not gone through 60-some sermons on contending for the faith and many of those on the fundamentals of the faith because that it doesn't matter what we believe and what we believe and how that we do things. But I'm saying so many times, folks, it's easy. It's very easy to have the same kind of critical spirit. Well, critical spirits are going to exist. People are going to respond that way. Let it be them criticizing us because the Lord's doing something in our lives and in our church rather than us criticizing others. You see, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32 says this, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Well, if we just look at how undeserving we are, it boggles my mind. It blows my mind that, that the Lord can have any desire to save me whatsoever. When I look at the way that I disgraced him, when I look at the way that I, I treated him, I can't understand why he would want to do it. And it boggles my mind even more that by his big, big, big dose of grace that he allowed me to be called into the ministry to stand and to preach his word. Because I'll guarantee you, I know better than any one of you, it is not because of me and who I am, not what I do in the pulpit or out of the pulpit, but it's all because of God's glorious grace. The nitpickers with their critical spirit in this account here happens to be the Pharisees, those religious people. Instead of rejoicing at the great miracle of the man's regained sight, they're focused on what they see wrong with it. The problem is, is that a critical spirit can destroy everybody else's celebration as well. Someone with a critical spirit can often find it hard to say something good without qualifying it. What do you mean, preacher? I mean like, well, boy, the new work in the sanctuary looks great. Of course, another color would have looked a lot better. <laughs> Besides, did, did we really need to spend that money right now? Our music was good today, but boy, I sure wish old so-and-so hadn't sung so loud in my ear right behind me. Preacher, that was a fine sermon. Sure could have been a bit shorter, though. <laughs> It said that there are really two kinds of people in the world. I'm sure you've heard this before. There's the ducks and there's the eagles. The ducks, they're always quacking. They're always quarreling. They're always complaining. They're always blaming others for their plight, finding every reason in the book why things can't be better and why they won't work. But then there's the eagles. Bible tells us that if we wait upon the Lord, we can mount up with wings as eagles. Man, the eagles get up there and soar above the crowd. <laughs> all the mess is still there. It's all going on, Brother Steve. They soar above it. I'm saying let's be eagles. 
There's going to be all the mess in the world that we could get focused on, and it's not that it's not wrong, and it's not that, that bad things can't be said, but there's too much good to take the place. There's more that we can be involved in. God is doing great things still. Let's thank God for what he's doing. Let's recognize what he's doing. Our Christian duty, you'll find nowhere in Scripture that there's any place that you have any Christian duty to complain about anything that doesn't suit you, but you find plenty about encouraging one another. Proverbs 25, 11 says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pitchers of silver. Ephesians 4, 29 says, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Boy, we all have to hide our faces there. Can I put that into an LTC translation? <laughs> Everybody else has got theirs. Basically, he's saying there, if what we're saying about somebody else, if it's not something that can minister grace and build them up and help them, keep your mouth shut. We're better off not to say it. I don't care if it's true. It's not going to accomplish anything good. These had it all wrong. It was one of the responses. But folks, what that response is going to be, let them criticize us. Let us not be one of the ones that's doing the criticizing. I don't have time to read all these verses, but if you read down beginning there, notice that the last part of verse 16 that we read, and there was a division among them. Now you read on down, and boy, they're just going at this thing. They're just going at the thing because not only do we find that there are those that respond with confusion and criticism, but I simply call this one contention. There are some contentious people in this world. They really remain contentious throughout the rest of this chapter. There are divisions among the people. Some are trying to say, well, th this is God working. Others are saying, no, no, it can't be God working. We find that I'm sure that most of you have either said it to your children or had it said to you. When you're small and maybe you get a, a mosquito bite or maybe you fall down off your bicycle and you get a scrape and you got that, 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 that cut or that, that, that deep scratch on your skin or whatever, and as it starts to heal and it starts to scab over, what do the kids always want to do? They want to start picking at it or scratching it. And you got to say, don't scratch it. Keep your hands off of it. <laughs> Don't mess with that scab so it can heal over because it's their natural instinct. I'm saying that's, that's what a lot of people in the world, there's plenty of stuff around folks that there's plenty of scars, plenty of scrapes, plenty of cuts, but they don't need to be scratched. You know, if you take that mosquito bite or insect bite, you just scratch it, you know what? It'll pus starts running out and it'll just get bigger. And chances are, if you do it enough, infection will set in. That's what some people like to do. They just like to scratch at those things that are not right. And that's what, these, that's what these religious people were doing here. They were just being contentious. Philippians 3, 13 and 14 says, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Sometimes people have done things that they ought not to have done. But the truth is we've got to leave things behind sometimes. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Listen to me. The devil will want to get a root of bitterness in you, something, you know, that will just aggravate you. And if he can in any way at all, if he can't get you scratching that sore, he'll get somebody else to doing it. He wants it to become as infected as it possibly can. And we got plenty of cuts and scrapes and things that he can get a hold of if we let him. But the Bible's teaching us, don't let the devil get the victory. Let's look at what the Lord's doing. 
Let's focus upon what he's doing. Remember, there are so many hurt and bitter Christians in the days that we live. So many that sometimes they're so bitter and they've maybe been out of, out of fellowship and out of church and if you go back and ask them what it was and they can't even remember exactly what it was. They just got upset with somebody over something and they let it eat at them and eat at them and eat at them. The devil's the only winner there. Psalm 66, 18 says that bitterness is sin. It's got to be forsaken. I remember being told as a boy also, <laughs> you walk around with a chip on your shoulder long enough, somebody will knock it off for you. You walk around with a chip on your shoulder long enough, somebody will oblige you and knock it off for you. One quote says, it's easier to say what someone else should do than it is to be what someone else should be. I thought that's pretty profound. A whole lot easier to say what somebody else should do than it is to be what somebody else should be. Some people were confused. Some were critical. Some were contentious. It amazes me here in verses 22 and 23, the parents do you see what their response was? They were just cowards. <laughs> they were just cowards. Notice what it said there. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore said his parents, he is of age, ask him. He's old enough, ask him yourself. Why? Because they were afraid because it had already been agreed that if anybody was on Jesus' side, if anybody dared stand up for him, then they were going to be put out of the synagogue. And I'm saying the parents were too afraid to stand the ground for their own child. They were too afraid to say yes. I mean, they were willing to agree, yes, he's our son. Yet yeah, yeah, we know that, that he was blind and now he can see, but boy, we sure don't know how it happened. They weren't about to give Christ the credit for it because of what it would do with the other people in their religious circle. Many people's response to the Lord's work is just to back away into the background and just, boy, don't take a stand on anything. And that's becoming more and more popular, I'm sorry to say, in many of our churches today. Just don't stand on anything. Just back away and let it do its own thing. Folks, we don't need cowardly responses. We need to stand up for the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to give him credit for what he's doing. We need to be pointing people at what he is doing, not at all those others that aren't doing anything. Turn your eyes upon Jesus as we're going to sing here in a moment. We find that some were cowards. Verses 24 to 34, we're going to see that you got a fifth one here. You had confusion. Some of them were just downright confused. You find that some of them that weren't confused, they were just complaining all the time, critical. Some were contentious, just doing everything that they could. Just You know, some people just like to stir things up. <laughs> they don't want it to settle down. <laughs> Let me stir it up a little bit. Some were cowardly. But you know something else? It's those same ones that were doing all the complaining, they were being so contentious, they were also very conceited. Pride. We find that they are the self-appointed crusaders for righteousness, but in actual fact, it's not real righteousness at all. It's self-righteousness. They consider themselves to be the perfect example, and they want everybody else to know how super spiritual that they are. Galatians 6.3 says, For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. They haughtily proclaim their relationship to, to Moses as a sign of, of spiritual superiority over this one that was a, a disciple of Jesus Christ. But in fact, they were just as blind as he had been before Christ touched him. They were still in far worse shape in their spiritual blindness. 
We could look at many things. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, I'm not going to read it all. He says, Why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? How art thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out that mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. It's awful easy. It's awful easy to see the little things that are wrong in somebody else's life. He said, you know, you got, you got, <laughs> you're trying to get the splinter out of his, and you got a four-by-two beam sticking out of your own there. William Johnson said, before you criticize another Christian, tell him how much you love him. And you might have second thoughts about your first thoughts then. <laughs> it's like I said, you know, it's awful hard to stay mad at somebody that you're praying with. <laughs> you having a struggle? Get down on your knees with somebody and pray with them. And then get up and try to be mad with them. <laughs> Don't work too good. We see that the responses, people responded in all kinds of Different ways here. Confusion, criticism, contention, cowardice, conceit. But you know what? I like the way that the one that was healed, the one that Christ did the work in his life. We look at several passages through here. His response, confession. Confessing the Lord Jesus Christ. To start with, he didn't even fully understand what had happened himself. He didn't know who Jesus was. He said, man, I don't know who he is, but I don't know about his sin, but I know one thing. I know I was blind, and now I can see. You know, later when he meets that same Jesus, after he's been kicked out of the synagogue, we find that he has his spiritual blindness lifted as well. You believe the Son of God? Well, who is he? He's the one that's talking to you right now. I'm him. I believe. And he worshiped him. Literally, Steve, he worshiped. It's to be prostrate before God, to recognize him in all of his holiness and righteousness and majesty that we're nothing in comparison. We find that verse 38 says, and he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. You see, the simple truth is you can have the confusion and the critical spirit, the contention, the cowardice, the conceit. I don't see anything good coming from any of that. But I'll tell you what, the confessing and the celebrating, that's what I like. I believe that that's where that we ought to be. Romans twelve fifteen says, Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Philippians 4.11, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Hebrews 12.12, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. We could say many things there. The simple truth is, is that we have a choice in how we respond. Philippians 1.27, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That's a pretty powerful statement. Listen, only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. I'm saying that's where we need to be this evening with all of us, with all of our weakness and all of our failings. I wish the place was running over Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night. I wish that when we went out on the streets that we had so many people that we just had to spread out all across the city in order to be able to distribute the tracts and talk to people. I wish that we had so many people that wanted to minister to these in the nursing homes the retirement village, that we could do more than just the, the three nursing homes in the one retirement village right now. But the truth is, boy, I thank God for what we have got. And I thank God that we're here tonight, that we have that freedom. And I thank God that even if it took me just as long to prepare this sermon tonight as it did the one this morning, 
God knew who would be here tonight. He knew who would be here this morning before he ever laid this upon my heart. The truth is, I'm glad we could be here. I wish some others could have. But I want to focus upon, wow, we had the opportunity to be together again this evening. Thank God that we had that. Thank God that we were able to come together and to do that. How are you going to respond to people, the things that are happening around you? Because plenty is going to happen. How are you going to respond to what the Lord is doing in our midst? 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, And whether one suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We need to try to help each other. You see, you can either be an encourager or you can be a discourager. The fact is, it may not be a question of what's truth and what's not true. It's the, the, that's not what the Bible says. We can either do and say that which will encourage, or we can do it in a way that will discourage. We have a choice in how we will respond to all of life's circumstances, to all of life's happenings. i give you this in closing. You know, when we leave this world, I think they call it dying, when we finally check out as far as this physical life is concerned, people tend to remember us with the things in our lives which are most dominant. How will people remember you and I? As somebody that was critical and condemning and always expecting too much, or somebody that's rejoicing and encouraging. You know, there's an awful lot wrong with me. There's an awful lot wrong with our church. But boy, we've got a Christ that everything is right with. And we've got a Christ that will help us, that will go with us, that will stick with us. And I'm saying this evening, as we read through this, as we put through this, I know you're the few that are here. You're the few that are faithful, but be encouraged. Be encouraged. I know how easy it is. I know how your flesh will want to react sometimes, but you stay faithful. Thank God we've got a church that still meets twice, that we've got a place Thank God that we've got the outreaches. And the simple truth is, next outreach that we go out on, we can get discouraged because there's not more people that cared enough. Take a, an hour and a half, two hours out of their whole month that we can go out and be a combined witness together for the Lord when that's our primary responsibility as a church. We can get discouraged because there might be a few of us in comparison. But you know what? I'd rather get encouraged because you and I are there, and we've got the freedom, and we've got the privilege to be able to go out and to share Jesus Christ with somebody else. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to hope that some of those others will realize what they're missing and that they'll get out there and that they'll be involved too. But I don't want them taking your joy. And I don't want them taking my joy. We've got too much to rejoice in. We've got too much to be happy in. The Lord is still working in our midst, and we've got an awful lot to be thankful for. Let's thank him and praise him for what we have the privilege of doing as we continue to love and pray for those that we want to see the Lord do more in their lives. We know there's so much potential that simply isn't realized. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, you know my heart, and you know that which you certainly laid upon my heart, the burden that I've tried to get across this evening. Lord, I love everyone that you've sent to be a part of this body here. I thank you that we still have a church when so many don't. I thank you for these that you sent in. I thank you, Lord, that we have the wonderful privilege to be able to come together all the times that we do. And Lord, this evening, I just want to pray that you would take these simple truths that we've looked at this evening, or that you could use them to encourage these that are here tonight. 
Lord, that they would not be discouraged because of what others are not doing. But they could be encouraged because of you and what you are doing. They could be encouraged because of what you've given us, the blessings that are ours already that are only because of you. Lord, it's only because of you that we even have a church this evening. It's only because of you that this place is still here. It's only because of you that we can see, Lord, that's not too far in the back distance. Lord, we were about to become another one of those statistics here too, those that were hanging on. But Lord, today we're growing. We're seeing you bring others in. We're seeing you work in our midst. And we thank you so very, very much when we've seen so many that have lost that opportunity that you've given that to us this evening. We're seeing Christ's precious name we pray. Amen and amen. <music>